Welcome to today's program. My guest is Phil Knox, Head of Evangelism at the Evangelical Alliance. Phil, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you. Great to be with you, John, and great to spend some time with you. Absolutely. Now, I want to start with this. What is this about five-a-side football? <laughs> so my life's been a bit of an adventure, and one of the things uh, when you work for charities, as you know, is now and again you have to raise some money. So we came up with a crazy idea to try and break the world record for the world's longest five-a-side football match, which I think stood at around 43 hours. We decided to the nicely round up to around about 48. So uh, we played football for 48 hours non-stop. Tragically, I was on the losing side and we lost by over 300 goals. And my knees have never quite been the same, but it was a great adventure. So how many hours did you personally play? So the deal was there were squads of eight yes. and you had to play, you obviously had to take five of you from that. So five eights of 48, but also a few people really annoyingly got injuries. So I think it was probably more than, just about more than five eights. So, so maybe, maybe 30, 36 or so hours maybe, but it was, yeah. It was traumatic, but great adventure. Raised a load of money to help me people meet Jesus. That and is great. so good. And then I'm just intrigued. <laughs> so then did you have a little cat nap when you came off? Yeah, but it felt like so we'd come off and you then slept in a tent next to the pitch because you couldn't leave the, the arena. And it felt you'd be asleep for maybe 45 minutes. And it felt like 15 seconds and someone shook you and woke you up and said, you've got to get back out there. Get back. And it was just awful. I was so cold. But it was great and um, yeah. What an achievement. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you were uh, born and brought up in a Christian home. Yeah. But you made a commitment or yeah. what would you say received Christ when yeah. you were, was it six? Six years old, yeah. At a festival. Yeah. So I was even more excitable then than I am now. Uh, someone told me that I needed forgiving for, the, for my sins, which I already knew at six. I was a naughty boy. Uh, that I could know Jesus within me as my friends have a relationship with him and I could go to heaven when I die. And I thought that was the best news ever. So I chose to follow Jesus when I was six years old in a tent somewhere. I, I can't even remember who was preaching. It might have been you. Someone was preaching and uh, responded in that moment. Um, but for me, I think, you know, I'd say for my kind of teenage years, relatively smooth, actually. I had in, in many ways an idyllic childhood. Um, but the rubber really hit the road for me when I was 21 years old. I was at university studying law and was having lunch with my mum and the phone rings and some words came from the other end, which I'll never forget. And they said, Phil, I'm really sorry, but this morning your dad has died. And these words tore my world apart. And so I say I've made an, an initial commitment to six, but when I was 21, I had a decision to make whether to say, God, either stuff you for letting this happen. There is no way I'm following you or God, we really need you right now. And I would say of all the years I've been following Jesus, the closest I've ever known God with me is in those first few weeks after dad died. And those words in scripture that say God is close to the brokenhearted were true in that moment. They've been true since. Um, and so I would say those two moments for me have been critical in my journey of faith. Yeah, and, and the God is known as the comforter. Amen. And sometimes yeah. we don't emphasize that much, yeah. do we? But actually he does comfort. Yeah. Obviously that takes a bit of processing when that happens. How did you process the fact that you lost your dad when you were so young? Yeah, I think a number of factors. I mean, first of all, the church is amazing in those moments, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a community. It really is. So, you know, again, recently my mum has died and we didn't cook a meal for three months. Our living room looked like Clinton's cards. Our <laughs> kitchen uh, looked like a florist. 
we were so well looked after. So I think community is so important. I think there's also something of people praying for you in those moments. So I, I think, especially when dad died, I felt buoyed by the prayers of others. And that was hugely significant. But also there are moments where suffering happens to all of us. And we have to realise and, and, and reflect on how are we going to respond in those moments? Because either we can turn and run away from God in those moments, or we can throw ourselves upon the Almighty, upon the Great Comforter. And, and my, my story is that, that it was a key moment for me. Uh, your, your father passed away because of a heart condition yep. and you recently been diagnosed with the yep. same heart condition. Uh, what is that? So I've got a dilated aortic root and I'm in great hands. The NHS look after me really well. Uh, I have an MRI every couple of years, but uh, there have been moments actually where I've, I've woken up in the middle of the night and my heart's been pounding. You know what it's like in the night. You're not quite thinking straight. And there have been moments where I've, I've thought, is, am I going to die? And then you begin to think about your, your wife and your kids and, and you reflect on that. And, but I can't tell you what a difference it makes knowing that God is with me in those moments. And, and especially Psalm 23 has made a huge, huge impact on my life in those moments. And I had someone pray over me once and say, say in those moments of, of fearing death in the night, reach up for the staff of the shepherd. And I'd say in those moments, I've known a closeness to God. Um, but yeah, so... and, and, and in, uh, to, the hope of heaven makes a huge difference as well. So I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. Yes. And, and there's something beautiful, isn't there, about knowing that assurance of heaven in the future. And, and for me, as I grapple with my heart condition and sometimes still fear death, I, I know who holds my future and that makes all the difference. Definitely. Now, I want to talk with you about your new book, but before I do, I want to talk with you about your book, Story Bearer, mm. which I really enjoyed reading. Thanks. Tell us about this. Yeah, so my, my full-time job is I work for the Evangelical Alliance, and I'm a, I guess I'm a missiologist. So I want, I want to understand how people become Christians and help the whole church maximise those pathways with the limited resources and time that we have. And, and, and one of the major ways in which people become Christians is through a friend. And so the most significant, sadly for evangelists like us, the most significant influence isn't necessarily an evangelist, we play a part along the way. But when Christians are asked who's been the most influential person in that journey, it's more often than not a friend, a family member, a colleague or a neighbour. And yet all of us could be better at sharing our faith with our friends and taking responsibility for that. And so I wrote that book because I, I really, uh, I was impacted actually by one of your bits of research, which found that just 3.6% of churches had done any training around yes. evangelism. And, and that, apart, as well as my heart, that keeps me up at night. But what would it look like to put a book into the hands of as many Christians as would read it to help us all share our story and share God's story and be great listeners too. And so the, the heart of Story Bearer is to help every Christian be better at sharing their story. I, I'm convinced that at the heart of evangelism is relationships and stories. And I had this wonderful story of this dad yes. who uh, after reading the book was like, I need to know my story. And then he uh, pulled over one, one, one Saturday morning with his son because his son said, dad, why are you a Christian? And he thought, I've just read this book. So he was able to share his story to his son and he led his son to the Lord there in that lay-by on that Saturday morning. Beautiful. That's what the book's about. Well, your new book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, The Best of Friends. We're going to introduce our conversation on this book with a video that you made. So please watch the film clip. We need friends. 
We've got music and movies on demand. We've got the world in the palm of our hand. We've got fun trips, internships, play scripts and hair snips. Film clips, fish and chips at the touch of our thumbtips. Need to lead or breed or feed your cat? Well, it turns out there's an app for that. But we need friends. We've got computers for a fiver, cars without a driver. We've got louder, further, faster, more, a bigger network than ever before, but we need friends. And friends are amazing. See, friendship is atomic. From the boardroom to the nursing home, from the coffee shop to the playground, it's relational connections that make the world go round. See, we were created to know and be known. It's better to eat kebabs with friends than salad on your own. And yet we trace in populous places. We're strangers in rooms of familiar faces. We crave deeper meaningfuls, but experience anonymity. We dance superficially around the promise of proximity. And we need friends. And quantity is no substitute for quality. We need 5G HD 24 carat friends. Lifelong, fight strong, tag along, forgive all wrong friends. Friends to talk through our problems personal. Friends to call when the cancer's terminal. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, your year, you just remember what your old pal said. We get by with a little help from our friends. And look to the one who made friendship possible, whose nail-pierced hands bridged a chasm uncrossable. His scandalous invitation follows the most glorious amends. There is no greater love than they that lay their life down for their friends. So celebrate with me the ship most worth sailing and follow the example of the friend unfailing. May we raise our game and drop our cover. Invest our energies in one another. May we still be there when the rain starts to fall and accept the most important friend request of all because we need friends. Wow, Phil, that's a very powerful uh, film clip. I've watched it a couple of times and it's very impacting. Okay, what prompted you to start talking about Friends? Do you know, it came out of a place of real pain, actually. So the first book that you've kindly referenced came out the first week of lockdown, the worst week in history to launch a book when all the shops closed. And so I was really discouraged and disappointed. There was a moment when I found out the launch events, events were cancelled, when I sat in my bed and pulled my duvet over my head and just had a little moment with the Lord. <laughs> and then uh, six months later, my mum, who'd been struggling with cancer, died. And, and I, it came out of a place of real pain of, of recognising that the people who were there for me, friendship was just so important. Yes. And so one morning during lockdown, I don't know about you, I had rhythms during lockdown yeah. that kept me going spiritually. Yes. And one of those was just going for a little walk every morning with the Lord, time prayer, listening to the Bible in my, on my headphones. And on one of those walks, I felt the Lord really nail me on friendship and just say, this is my next area that I need to speak of. And within that as well, as, as an evangelist and missiologist, recognising that most people become Christians through friendships. Uh, in some ways, Story Bear was the wrong book to write because the biggest reason why Christians don't share their faith with their friends isn't that they're ill-equipped, it's that they don't have enough friendships. So the recent Talking Jesus survey found that 46% of Christians don't know a non-Christian well enough to invite them to church. So my hope originally when I started writing this book was what if we were all better friends? In 10, 20 years time, more people would become Christians because we're better friends. But also what I've uncovered as I've done so is I've just fallen in love with the God-given invention of friendship. I've discovered its power. I've read everything I can find. I've had conversations for the last few years. I've researched it to death and found friendship is outrageously good for us. 
And it's a really core message within the gospel as well, God's offer of friendship to us. It's completely captivated me. And so that's where the book came from. Wow. Okay. How would you define friendship? Wow, that's, that's a deep one. Um, I, think it's, I think it comes from us, from the Garden of Eden, actually. So I think for me, I would define friendship as it is not good for men and women to be alone. So eight times in the creative narrative, mm. God says that things are good. The first thing that God says is not good, is for us not to be alone. So I'd, I'd, I'd first of all say it's, it's, it's kind of the, the antidote to loneliness. But the second thing I would say about, about great friendship is I can't define it better than Jesus, who said there is no greater love than they that lay their life down for their friends. And so friendship is both an antidote to loneliness, but it's also at its heart about sacrifice and modelled in the person of Jesus, who not only scandalously calls his disciples friends, by the way, so, so there's no other record of a first century rabbi referring to their disciples as friends. But when he says this is friendship, they that lay their life down for their friends. What friendships stand out for you in the Bible? That's a good question. I, I think a few. I think first, I love David and Jonathan. Yes. You know, the, the, the sacrifice of Jonathan to, to relinquish the throne in many ways for his friend. But I also love the intergenerational friendships. So I love Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Timothy. I think, I think that there are so many divisions in our society around all kinds of areas, race, background, ethnicity, story. But one of the things we don't talk about often is, is the, the division around age. So I think one of the, the things we find in, in people who are resilient disciples, especially kind of young adults, that, that one of the hallmarks is having friends who are slightly older and not just mentors, people who are genuine friends. And so on the way down to drive to meet you today, John, I spoke to a family friend who was interestingly my dad's best mate growing up and he's a friend and he prays for me and he supports me and I wanted to know what was going on with his family and he was asking me about what's going on in my life. Uh, so I, that, those Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Timothy moments, as well as the, the sacri beautiful sacrificial moments, you know, Naomi, Ruth, those, the Bible is full from Genesis to Revelation. Great friendship. And of course, Jesus had friends as well, yeah. didn't he? And he interacted with many people, but he had 12 close friends. Yeah. And even within that, didn't he have three and then one? Yes. Yeah, so, so what I've discovered having written the book is that <laughs> you won't be surprised to know this. The latest science, funnily enough, agrees that the man who claimed to be God 2,000 years ago knew what he was doing <laughs> when it came to friendship. So there's this amazing anthropologist called Robin Dunbar who has said that you can basically have about 150 friends. We have the relational capacity for about 150, which works itself out. Uh, the average Christmas card list, 148. Average size of a UK wedding, 146. But then he says what you can do is you can probably have about 12 good friends. And then he says, you can have about three great friends, and then you can have one best friend. And when I read this leading science, I thought that, that sounds familiar, yes. <laughs> right? It turns out the secret of eternal life is not what you know, but who you know. Yes. And that Jesus knew what he was doing. That good science only tells us what the King of Kings knew all along. And so what I love about and what I explore in the book is that we need to be intentional about where we spend our, our, our time, that we have limited relational bandwidth and capacity. So we need to be really purposeful in how we do that. And Jesus models that with the 12, with the three, Peter, James and John, and with John, who was the disciple he loved. Now, we can all tell stories of friendships that have failed mm. or friendships that have disappointed 
or surprise friendships where someone maybe gossips, but even Jesus was let down yeah. by a friend. What do we do in that situation? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? You know, Jesus' success rate wasn't great. You know, Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him, Thomas doubted him. So 75% were all, were all right. Um, I think, I think again, Jesus has so much to teach us in, in both. We've talked about the sacrifice of Jesus talks about the intentional nature of Jesus, but also the forgiveness of Jesus. I don't know about you, John, I, I'm profoundly impacted by, by the encounter with, of Jesus and Peter in John 21. Yes. I, I feel for Peter because I feel like Peter so often. I feel in my own brokenness and humanity, I, I get it wrong, I stuff it up. But I can't imagine what it was like for Peter on Good Friday to know that you've blown it, to know that the Son of God knew you were gonna blow it, to think the wasted three years that you've just gone through, and yet then to have the moment of redemption when he's, he's, he's in the boat and he swims like mad. I think that was probably, he broke a world record, you know, swimming, swimming to the saviour. And then Jesus gently restores him on the beach over breakfast. That's our model for when relationships go wrong. Uh, we, we, too many relationships break down because they ha we haven't learned to exercise the muscles of navigating through conflict and forgiveness. Um, so and Jesus is our example in that. Definitely. Uh, interestingly, your subtitle is Choose Wisely, Care Well. Now, how can you, how does that work, Phil? Choose wisely? Because it's like, oh, I, I need a friend. Well, it's like, well, how do you go and get one? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I think the first thing we underestimate is God's role in finding our friends for us. So I'm sure, you know, for you, there have been moments where you've gone, how did God bring that person across my path? But he did. I wholeheartedly believe that God is the great connector. So I love the moment at the cross where Jesus says to John and his mother, you're now a new family. He connects them as the son of God is dying the most excruciating death. He still has the presence of mind to build a relationship. I think God is the great connector. So the first thing, if, you're, if today you're lonely and you want a friend, pray. Say, Lord, would you put across my path the people? The second thing is, um, think about the people under your nose. So sometimes we don't realise that there's someone right under our nose who's part of our house group, part of our church, we on the school run with. God has put people under our nose who we're to, to, to pursue a deeper relationship with. Um, and then I think the third thing is finding those moments of common ground. I think what I love about Jesus and the disciples is, I my premise is I reckon seven of the disciples knew each other before Jesus called them. They were fishermen from Bethsaida. By the way, I'm also confused. Maybe you can tell me this. Why did he choose fishermen, not carpenters? <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't know. But he chose seven fishermen who probably knew each other and, and they had stuff in common. But also Jesus had five out of the 12 who were really different. So Simon the Zealot wanted, wanted to kill Romans. Matthew the tax collector was kind of making money, making a quick book from them. When Simon and Matthew were in the room for the first time, they'd have wanted to kill each other. Yes. So Jesus was deliberate in, in calling people who had stuff in common, but also people who were different. And so thinking about those things, who have we got stuff in common with? Praying and saying, God the, who, God the great connector, uh, find me some friendships. But also thinking about those moments, who's God put under our nose? So what, what are the healthy ingredients of making healthy friendships? Yeah, I would say, I would say first of all, Think about those people who you want to go deeper with. And then those ingredients are time, presence, and vulnerability. There is nothing quite like spending time with one another. Even today, getting to know you a bit better has just been glorious because it's time. So one of the kind of mic drop moments I found within, within researching the book 
is that 40% of us in the UK are, are what's called knowledge workers, people like you and me who think for a living. Um, but, uh, but, and so the challenge is that with us, the, the, the same muscles we use at work are the same muscles with which we build relationships with. So my best mate's a builder. He digs all day. He would also say he probably thinks a bit for a living as well. But when he gets home from work, he's ready for friendship. But I'm, I'm exhausted because I've been on Zoom calls, I've been writing, I've been preaching. And so we need to think about that time piece as, as how we spend our time, but also the sacrifice of wanting to spend more time with people. But how do you make the balance like you're married? Yeah. Okay, so you've got your wife who is your best friend. Amazing, yes. Amazing, right. So you've got your wife, you've got your children. Yes. And then you've got these other friendships. Yeah. It's getting the balance, isn't it? Yeah, of course it? it is. And church activities. And church activities. So we need to be really careful about not overcommitting in, in, in some areas. Um, but, but I think it's about those, it's about those moments. I think there are other moments where we can be really intentional, not just kind of in our, in our week by week, but going on holiday with friends, deliberately carving out time. So I think, but I think it's that intentional piece. We would be, we would be really intentional. I'm a football fan. I, when, when my team are playing, I'm so intentional. I'm like, nothing can stop me. I want to watch my team. Why I like that with friendship? Why, why do I not give myself in the same way to my friends as I do to my, <laughs> as I do to my football team, which is so superficial? Um, but I th so I think it's that intentionality piece. Yeah, but making time. Yes. That, right, yes. your second? Presence. Presence. So uh, again, in those moments of grief we've talked about, there is nothing quite like having people with you. So again, back to that moment when my dad died. Uh, it, I couldn't sleep, but my friends just came and he sat with me. And I vividly remember, it was about three o'clock in the morning, I was sat in my kitchen, and my, my friend Adam, the digger, said, I, I don't know what to say, I, I, I just don't know what to say. And I said, actually, you don't need to say anything. You just being with me makes all the difference. And, and Jesus modeled this. So Jesus, as he goes to Gethsemane, who does he take with him? He leaves the nine behind, and he says, Peter, James, and John, with me. Come and be with me, at the lowest moment of his life. And then finally, vulnerability. I think about the moments in my life that have plumbed the depths beyond the, beyond the shallows with my friends. And there have been moments where actually I've been vulnerable and said, I'm really struggling. This has been really hard. I've, I've messed up here. Um, and, and those moments have taken my friendship to a new depth. So being honest, yeah, being and, open. And the thing with vulnerability is it feels like weakness. We feel like we're opening our heart and, and we feel like we're, we're, we're opening ourselves up to attack. And, and I think there's a definition of love that says, says that love is, is giving your friends the opportunity to destroy you, but, but knowing that they won't. And so there's something about vulnerability there, but also with, with that, it looks like weakness, but it, but it, sorry, it feels like weakness, but it looks like raw courage. Yes. Something when, you know, when, when you open up to me about, about things, it may feel like weakness, yes. but to me, I'm like, wow, isn't he brave to do that? And then and, there's I, an empathy as well, yeah. isn't there? And those things deepen relationships. So time, presence, vulnerability, those three things have a profound effect on our relationships. So uh, one in three men say they have no close friends and it's not much better for women. I was, on the, I was in the taxi on the way to the launch event for this book and the taxi driver, I said to the taxi driver, tell me about your friends. He said, you know, I, I've only got two friends in the whole world. I think many people are desperately lonely. 40% uh, of young adults say they always or often feel lonely. Friendship is the antidote. And we as Christians should be the best friends in the world. We have the relational God who lives yeah. inside us. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, the way you love one another. But of course, friendship with God is vital. Yeah. 
What would you say to anyone that's listening now, Phil, who doesn't know God as a friend? What would you say to them and, and how can they become a friend of God? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, you were created for connection. You were made for relationship with the God who loves you. And, and to start with, make no mistake, wherever you're at on the journey, God, in terms of his friendship with you, is all in. You are unswervingly, fiercely, relentlessly loved by God. But we all recognise that we haven't always been the best of friends to God. We recognise that our own selfishness, our distraction has, has driven a wedge. And, and sometimes, like a human relationship, you might feel tangibly almost a sense of disconnection with God. But the great news of the gospel at the heart of Christianity is that God has made a way for you to be friends with God again. In the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his arm is outstretched to you. That as 2000 years ago, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords stretched out his arms on a wooden cross, he died for you. So that your sins, your brokenness, this wedge that is driven between you and God can be restored. And crucifixion couldn't contain him. Death destroyed, dare not defeat him. And on the third day, he rose again so that you could be free and that you could know him personally today. But today you have a decision to make. God's friend request, if you like, needs accepting. And today his arm of friendship is outstretched to you. His hand is extended. And the most important decision you will ever make is to choose to accept God's friendship or not. And if you do, it means purpose, meaning, forgiveness for your past, his presence in your present, and hope for the future. So today, God's invitation to you is to accept his offer of friendship. And if you want to accept that, I'm going to ask Phil to pray a prayer. And why don't you pray that prayer to become a friend of God? Let's pray. Father, we recognise today that we have not always been the best of friends to you. We thank you that you love us. But today we say we're sorry for where we've gone our own way, for where we've not been the best of friends to you. But we thank you that through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, we can know that friendship. And today we say we haven't got it all together. But we say today, we're going to have a go at following you, God. We're sorry for where we've got it wrong. We put our trust in you and we want to have a go at following you with all that we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, can we just encourage you to read the Bible and to find a local church where you can grow as a follower of Jesus? Phil, thank you so much for uh, all your insights and uh, great to be able to talk about being story bearers and uh, being friends. Thank you very much for joining us on Facing the Canon. It's been such a joy. Thank you. I hope you've been inspired by that conversation uh, with Phil. If you want to be a friend, be a friend. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon please join us again. Just 10 by J. John. Relaunched and reimagined. Just 10 is a 10-session series to explain the Ten Commandments and their relevance today. 
with free video resources for churches and small groups and a re-released book to help you go deeper. Take time to unpack how each of us can live by these timeless principles today. Visit just10.org to find out more.